Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. Uh, it is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Andre Vlitschek, who is the author of a remarkable new book I've just read and highly recommend called Exposing Lies of the Empire. And this is some 800 pages of stories over the past three years from 2012 through 2015 uh, from around the world. Uh, and it is a remarkable perspective, including on how the rest of the world sees the United States and Europe and the West. Uh, Andre Vlicek, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. David, thank you so much for having me on your program. Well, thank you for coming on and for writing this book, uh, Exposing Lies of the Empire, and this is really what it does. Uh, I wonder if we could touch on uh, a few of the many, many stories in the book. Um, one that uh, comes fairly early in the book is about U.S. troops and, and doctors in Haiti. Do you recall that, that incident? Oh, yes. Well, uh, that's actually a very long uh, uh, story. I was uh, working in uh, Haiti in uh, Port-au-Prince uh, in the capital some 17 years ago, a long time ago. And uh, I was uh, stuck in the Cite uh, de Soleil, which is uh, supposed to be the toughest slum in, uh, in the Western Hemisphere. It's a, it's a place which is uh, a local state that you can enter, but you cannot leave. And I was actually abandoned by my uh, driver and by the guard, and I was working in the middle of the, of the slum, and suddenly I noticed there was a walled compound, and there were American soldiers all around. And I asked them what's going on, and they said, well, we are actually helping uh, local people. We are... Uh, providing them with uh, free medical care. So I walked in and uh, I saw some absolutely bizarre things. I saw operation uh, table in the middle of uh, a fly, uh, an insect-infested uh, courtyard. And a woman uh, who was lying uh, face down and two uh, or three American military doctors uh, performing surgery on her. And I said, what's going on? And they said, well, we are removing her tumor. And I said, is it cancer? Is it benign? Is it, or is it, what kind of tumor is it? And they said, well, we don't know, because we didn't do much uh, analysis. But uh, actually, there is, uh, she has a tumor, so we are going to remove it. And I said, and then what? And they said, well, she has to go home. And I talked to her husband and basically said that they were operating under local anesthesia and uh, anesthetics, and they would take her, he would take her home by bus after the tumor was removed. So later on, I realized there is a huge American, uh, there was a huge American camp with a perfectly equipped operation theater. Uh, but that was only for the American troops. And this was for the local people. I asked the doctors later, why, uh, what are they doing there really? And they said, well, we are actually training for combat operations, and this is as close as it comes to combat, which made me think, uh, of course, and made me realize what I later wrote a lot about, that uh, when we talk about peace uh, in some uh, very poor countries that are destroyed by the empire, it's actually not peace for the people who live uh, uh, in, the, in the areas or in the neighborhoods or even in the cities. Uh, where uh, the quality of life and standard of living totally collapsed. So, actually, all indicators in a places like Cite de Soleil in Haiti or 
all indicators in the slums of Nairobi, like Kibera or uh, Matare, are those of the war zone. So actually, these doctors were, uh, you know, their analysis were correct. Uh, what they were doing is obviously not correct. They should have, if they wanted to help local people, they should have taken them to the to their own operation theater and helped them. But uh, but their analysis were very correct. They did see this away 17 years ago, and I'm sure now it's a war zone. It's, it's a remarkable account and not far from U.S. shores, and I think many Americans uh, oblivious to what's been going on for years now in Haiti. Uh, an, another story that really caught my attention that came up a few times in your book uh, and from a more recent period uh, was what the U.S. military has been doing in relation to Syria in Turkey. Uh, can, you, can you describe what you've seen there? Yes, uh, I was actually uh, making a film uh, for documentary film uh, for Venezuelan uh, Latin American network called Telesur. Um, and I came to that area of uh, border region between Turkey and Syria for the second time. First time it was, uh, I believe, two and a half years ago, and the second time it was uh, just uh, about two years ago. Uh, I was actually one of the... Uh, writers or investigative journalists who uh, discovered the connection uh, between the training of uh, uh, training of so-called Syrian opposition and the birth of uh, uh, ISIS, ISIS. Uh, you know, we talk about ISIS, uh, some kind of a Muslim uh, uh, move, extremist movement, but what we don't really, uh, what many people don't, uh, don't realize is that uh, uh, ISIS was created in uh, uh, partially, at least, in, uh, and trained and financed uh, in the refugee camps or so-called refugee camps uh, for Syrian opposition. And it is not only in uh, Turkey, it is also in Jordan. Um, and uh, surprisingly, it is uh, quite a known fact, even in uh, a very pro-Western uh, media in the Gulf and uh, uh, but uh, what uh, we tracked, there, there were several uh, uh, camps. There are, of course, legitimate refugee camps in Turkey. Uh, but around the city of Hatay, uh, in the south, uh, there is uh, there was at least one camp called Apayudin, and there was uh, one uh, military camp uh, used by the U.S. Air Force and uh, uh, RAF. Um, uh, in the city of Adana. So these two camps are actually one military, one refugee, uh, were used for training of uh, of uh, ISIS. And it was a really very tough situation even two years ago for uh, the inhabitants of the city of Hatay, because city of Hatay is historically very uh, tolerant Turkish city. There is, it's not, uh, it's not Islamist. They, they have everything. They have, uh, you know, people, they're Christians, they have... Uh, 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 secularists, they have uh, uh, Muslims from uh, Shia, uh, Sunni uh, tribes. And imagine the city which lived for hundreds of years of harmony uh, was suddenly overrun by the bearded uh, the Shihari cadres from Qatar and Saudi Arabia, basically the very uh, close allies of the United States in the West. And these people were renting apartments, uh, running around with machine guns, uh, and uh, and basically uh, you know, scaring people, uh, 
or terrorizing. And these people were, oh, these people were helping to create the, you know, create the ISIS. And then uh, now, listen to the official Western propaganda. You would think that ISIS is some kind of a homegrown, uh, you know, Islamic movement from the from the Middle East. But no, uh, that uh, it is. Um, has created uh, artificially as uh, Mujahideen and Al-Qaeda were created artificially in Afghanistan in order to fight Soviet Union uh, and so on. So uh, basically this uh, fits to my theory, which I was uh, um, pushing or describing for uh, at least one year, that uh, the West actually derailed uh, socialist, secular Muslim uh, culture, uh, which was very predominant all over the Middle East and uh, North Africa after the Second World War. So, you know, they, they were and, uh, in Indonesia. So they were basically socialist, secular, uh, or left-wing or left-oriented movements and uh, uh, governments and uh, presidents from uh, Mossadegh in Iran, Nasser in Egypt, and of course Ahmed Sukarno in Indonesia in the biggest Muslim country on earth. So that was not acceptable for the West. So they overthrew uh, all these uh, uh, movements and governments, and they uh, began, uh, uh, you know, creating uh, uh, Wahhabi uh, extremist uh, type of uh, Muslim militant uh, uh, government that uh, were, of course, much more suitable for them because then, uh, you know, if you, don't, uh, if you don't question the religion, uh, um, if you don't question uh, the the essence of religion, then you don't question usually the uh, the, the way your uh, wealth or your natural resources are being distributed. So that that goes. But um, you know, uh, it happened after Second World War. It's happening now in Syria that you mentioned, um, and it happened already more than hundred years ago uh, in the Arab Peninsula because Wahhabism, the the most extreme form of Islam, also of course. Uh, uh, supported by the British Empire. We are speaking with Andrei Vlitschek, who's the author of Exposing Lies of the Empire. Uh, there are so many stories from so many different countries uh, in this book. Uh, you don't seem to sit still for a minute. And, and some of them are uh, of places where wars are being stirred up, uh, and some of them are from places where wars have happened long ago and been long forgotten uh, in U.S. culture, including a, a very quick and seemingly cost-free, easy war in Panama that uh, people in the United States have uh, long forgotten, I think, and, uh, and yet the damage is still very lasting. What, what did you encounter uh, as a, a result of the, that U.S. war in Panama? I was in Central America. Why? Uh, South and Central America. Why is, I was meeting Noam Chomsky at MIT, uh, and we were going to uh, write a book and make a film, which is called uh, On Western Terrorism, from uh, from uh, Hiroshima to Drone Warfare. And uh, uh, the idea of the of the book, book is published, uh, it was published by British publishing house Pluto. It's available, I think, in 25 languages now. Uh, but also, I brought Japanese crew uh, to film our uh, discussion, and the film uh, that we made uh, from it will be released uh, very soon. Now, the reason I went to Central America and to South America was that uh, 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 the idea of the film was not only to make a boring discussion between uh, me and Noam, 
but also illustrated with the footage from war zones, from uh, uh, places where uh, so much uh, was uh, destroyed and where entire cultures were uh, and parts of the world were destabilized. And although I lived in uh, uh, in uh, South America for many years, I, I didn't have uh, recent footage from South and Central America. So I went to Salvador and I went to uh, Nicaragua and I went to uh, Panama in order to uh, uh, to show to, and to see myself uh, again, to revisit the place and to see what really happened to these uh, uh, post-conflict countries. But I, uh, I, this was my first time actually uh, in Panama, in Colón. Uh, I read that Colón is the worst city in terms of the quality of life or standard of living. I forgot what it was exactly in the Western Hemisphere. And I went there and I, I didn't really realize that uh, it can be so bad because uh, Panama is a country with the uh, Panama Canal. It's not uh, known to be extremely uh, poor as, uh, as, let's say, Honduras or Guatemala. But what I saw in Cologne was just absolutely horrific. Uh, it was just a skeleton of the city. There was no city left. Uh, it was just the old uh, 19th century buildings, uh, kind of uh, looking like skeletons. There, was, uh, there were uh, child prostitutes in the streets. There were uh, uh, beggars everywhere. It was just a horrific ghetto. Uh, uh, which I was told was extremely dangerous during the day and night, and uh, I managed to get a, uh, I managed to convince a driver to just drive me all around. I was filming for the for my film with Noam. I was filming for uh, uh, several hours uh, each day for two days, uh, and uh, so my uh, I talked to people also. Of course, I talked about the war. I talked about bombing uh, tall buildings. Uh, uh, about the, the brutality, really, of the U.S. Uh, bombing in that part of the world. But what what I actually what was shocking there were visuals. You know, the 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 what I felt. Uh, it was not so much the testimonies. Testimonies we all know. There were things that were uh, absolutely illegal, like the presence of U.S. Navy that was not supposed to be there. It was there. Uh, there were all these memories of the bombing, of using uh, people, local people told me that actually the the equipment, the, the war equipment, again, was tested on them, you know, that they were testing uh, the U.S. military and U.S. Air Force was testing uh, equipment to see how it will stand in the in the, in the more serious war zones. But the visuals were just unbelievable. I mean, we were just two hours flight, basically, from Miami, and uh, it was uh, absolute devastation. We uh, have uh, not enough time to cover remotely the number of stories I would like to bring up, because this is an absolutely remarkable book, Exposing Lies of the Empire. Um, one place that has been in the news lately that I think is worth mentioning it, that you went to is, is Okinawa, Japan. Uh, can you talk a little about how people in Okinawa experience the U.S. and, and its military and how the rest of, of Asia looks at Okinawa? Okinawa is uh, actually very poor a place because it was occupied. This is an old, it's an ancient king, kingdom which... Uh, was very close to China. I mean, if you see the, uh, their tombs, uh, their culture, it was uh, it was kingdom. Uh, it was uh, like most of parts of northern 
Asia uh, deeply influenced by China. It was uh, periodically occupied by uh, Japanese uh, and by uh, Americans. And uh, Okinawans are dreaming about their independence. They would uh, they would like to be independent uh, country, but they cannot be. So they uh, after the Second World War, after the occupation by the U.S. They decided that they'd be under the Japanese occupation or part of Japan than to be occupied by the United States. Unfortunately, what they didn't realize and what is happening until now is that the occupation or being part of Japan meant that Japan would abandon them and basically uh, uh, let them be the United States. So we are talking about uh, we are talking about the. Uh, Several islands, uh, archipelago of uh, that is uh, where uh, some 30% of the of the territory uh, consists of the of the uh, air force and uh, military bases. So we have uh, Kadena uh, and Futenma uh, air force bases, and now they are building another base in an absolutely pristine and beautiful bay, which is called Haneko Bay. Again, I made a film for South American Network Telesur. Uh, I spent there. I went there twice. Uh, I filmed the Air Force bases. I talked to the academia, to normal people. It's a horrible situation again because uh, not only that uh, the uh, environment is destroyed, not only that uh, people had enough of the noise of. Uh, of danger, but uh, this is the place where the Third World War can begin. I mean, basically, they are provoking China from there and North Korea. They're flying all sorts of sorties. There are all sorts of uh, flying machines, uh, imaginable and unimaginable. Uh, they belong to the U.S. Air Force. They belong to Japan, which officially doesn't have army, but uh, which is armed to the teeth by uh, by American jet fighters, surveillance planes. And everything. So you have two monstrous American bases. You have uh, an ancient testing facility. You have Japanese base, uh, Air Force bases, and all this. And Japan is, of course, the client state of the of the West, and it's a, a great uh, uh, American and British and Irish academics, and Australian academics based in Japan, uh, will tell you that uh, Japan doesn't have foreign policy. It's basically. Uh, repeating uh, exactly what the United States asked it to do. So, uh, and Japan, uh, you know, Japan has also U.S. military bases on its uh, territory, but somehow most of them are concentrated in Okinawa. So when you talk to Okinawans, they say, my God, we don't want to be really the place where the, uh, you know, from which the uh, Third World War will uh, uh, begin. And then, uh, uh, you see, it's also a very complicated situation because Japan was occupying China, very brutal occupation. So Chinese never really forgave uh, forgave Japan. And I, when I was uh, speaking at the, uh, Beijing University two years ago, I was told by one of the academics uh, of the record, but he, uh, he said, look, uh, basically, if the U.S. is going to attack China, if the U.S. is going to have conflict with China over anything, over Taiwan, over islands, over anything, China is not going to retaliate against the United States. They are going to retaliate against Japan, because Japan is the place from where the U.S. attack would come from. So we are not going to fight the U.S. 
will basically retaliate against Japan. And they know it, and Okinawans know it, and they feel absolutely, you know, uh, squeezed uh, because they uh, they feel they are occupied. It's not their fault that all this is going on. But in the same time, they realize that uh, that they are, uh, they will be at the front line of the conflict. Would there be a conflict between the West and China? And what must they think of the people of the United States when I read these stories from all over the globe with uh, unembedded? Western filtered uh, accounts, uh, I get the impression that the people of the United States must be incredibly selfish and greedy and uh, destructive of the environment, warmongering, almost sociopathic. What, what is your view of, of U.S. culture and people in the United States? Well, it is a very difficult question, and it is a very, uh, I would say, sensitive question. I'm in California right now. I'm, uh, I don't come to, uh, to back to U.S. too often, but I come uh, to launch my books. To, to, uh, I come to conferences. I do actually. Um, I do actually feel that uh, uh, there is a serious problem. Uh, American people, uh, European people as well, are extremely selfish, and uh, there is a uh, there is a uh, attempt, even in the left media, uh, wing, uh, media very often, uh, to portray them as victims. Now, today I received like two letters, I don't know, reacting to some of my uh, essays that uh, actually American people are victims of uh, corporatism and uh, and all this. I don't uh, know. I'm not so sure because uh, it, is, uh, it is a very complex issue because they are actually, both Americans and Europeans are North Americans and Europeans are uh, responsible for the government they have. I mean, they do actually vote. They do, uh, and uh, in the good times, they are reaping the benefit that uh, uh, comes from being an empire. So uh, let me just uh, go to Greece, which is uh, also part of this Western empire uh, still. Greece is going through horrible problems. And we are sorry for that. But uh, look, when uh, before the crisis, they were enjoying benefits that the European Union and the Empire were giving them. They were very happy of getting subsidies, the, the farmer subsidies, the agricultural subsidies, uh, infrastructure, uh, uh, infrastructure subsidies, and all that. So there was no internationalism. They didn't care about the rest of the world too much. Suddenly, they, uh, their economy collapsed, and uh, the, the German and French banks began plundering them. They, they really, uh, you know, poor people in Greece are suffering. The middle class is uh, melting down. And suddenly, they feel that they are victims, and they feel sorry for themselves. And they are against uh, imperialism and capitalism and all this. But it is now. What about 20 years ago, 15 years ago? You see, so I think that uh, there is this selfishness in the in the West. People do care about their problems, but they don't realize that they they were getting enormous benefits uh, from plundering the world, and they still are getting uh, them. I mean, through colonialism and later neo-colonialism, and uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, what uh, what the, uh, the the plunder of the world that goes on. So, of course, uh, if you are born in the United States, if you are born in Europe, you, it comes with great benefits. You get, uh, you get the infrastructure which is built uh, from not only from hard work, it's built from the 
money that comes from all over the world. And that's where I, I'm actually, I have to say that uh, uh, there is a responsibility. I believe in collective responsibility. I think the American people and Europeans, uh, European people, they are responsible for the state of the world uh, in which we are living now. Uh, I don't know if they are warmongering themselves, uh, uh, the, the majority of the population, but they allow this to happen. They don't really uh, try to change the system. They don't try. They don't try to change the regime. So uh, right there, uh, you know, uh, they they are responsible for the situation. Is it possible that they are extremely misled and deluded? Uh, there are There's a trend in U.S. academia, uh, professors like Steven Pinker and others convincing everyone that war is going away. It's a thing, you know, by not counting foreign deaths, by mislabeling wars as something else and so forth, they, they create this... Uh, this myth that violence is vanishing from the world, war is going away, the United States uses uh, violence very exceptionally and for the benefit of others and its actions are philanthropic and so forth. Uh, is there, is, we have uh, less than three minutes left, is it possible that, that people are, are deluded uh, and think that the U.S. government uh, means well and does well? David, yes, uh, of course it is possible, but let's, uh, let us not also forget that these people that you mentioned, these professors, they're also citizens of this country. They, um, the academia, the, the, the media, uh, you know, psychologists, you cannot imagine uh, the uh, professions that are involved in creating. All these people are Americans, and all these people are Europeans who are uh, creating this um, before I came here, I was uh, speaking at the huge uh, 14th uh, Symposium on Psychology, uh, or, or Psychologists for Peace in South Africa. The conference was, uh, symposium was in Johannesburg and Pretoria in South Africa. And there were com American psychologists confessing or denouncing the U.S. psychologists, uh, their colleagues who are actually participating in torture in Abu Ghraib and other uh, institutions during uh, this homeland security created uh, uh, secret prisons. Okay. Imagine these people are also citizens of the United States. The psychologists who betray their oaths, their their their, their profession, and they go and actually, uh, you know, help with the torture. So these people are, uh, are also citizens of the of the empire. So yes, most of the, and journalists too. Uh, so people are uh, lied to, and people are longing for uh, knowing what's uh, what's happening. But uh, unfortunately, there are millions of people who who are very uh, who are not only collaborating with the empire; they are part of it. We we have just uh, under a minute left, and and a big part of your book, Andre, is resistance. Maybe you can just list some examples of where in the world you you see resistance to this empire. I think uh, for me, resistance is mainly it's uh, resistance is uh, mainly knowledge and information. I think resistance that I am part of is making films in, uh, for television stations like Telesur, like Press TV, like RT, and also by writing books. Resistance is uh, actually to, to provide people with information and with knowledge. 
uh, is the greatest resistance uh, I think uh, there can be. And I believe that we are, I'm very optimistic. I think that uh, there are great television channels. Suddenly they are not any more marginal or once they are mainstream in their own way uh, because they reach millions. And they, there are great publications. And even in this country, publications like Counterpunch, for example, fantastic. So uh, that's my my way of resisting. Wonderful. Uh, read the book, everyone. It is called Exposing Lies of the Empire. We've been speaking with the author, Andre Vlicek. Andre, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much, David. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.